Hello everyone. I want to welcome you all to our new Christmas series, The Royal Road. The reason we have chosen this title is that Christianity is a historic religion. By that I mean that all the places that are spoken of in the Gospels around the birth of Jesus, all of those places to today can be visited. And so we're going to visit four locations. And the first location is Bethlehem. You know, when we sing Christmas carols, O Little Town of Bethlehem, we think of a kind of fuzzy, warm feeling, a really cosy place. And yet the narrative tells us that it was a place of tension under Roman occupation. And Mary and Joseph, positioned by God almost, through a Roman census, go back to the town of David, Bethlehem. Bethlehem becomes the house of bread, the place where Jesus is born. And you know, actually today, Bethlehem is not seen as a cosy little location. Around Bethlehem, you'll find a wall of petition where the West Bank is separated from Israel, still a place of tension. And so as we visit Bethlehem together and get the feel of the tension of that day, but also the tension today, as we start this journey on the Royal Road, our prayers are that this will be really helpful to all of us, will encourage us in our Christian faith and will connect us with the historic Jesus. Have a great, great day. Let's pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for the royal road. Thank you that uh, you call us to walk with you. And we pray for Howard that you would anoint him, Lord God, to speak your words. We pray that you would anoint our hearts, our ears to hear and respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Mike. Thank you. Well, good morning. How are we all? Great. Everyone doing well? Fantastic. So today, December the 1st, it's the start of Advent. Thank you, worship team, for your songs that um, really uh, enforced Advent and our thinking around that. You know, the whole sense of us as Christians, believers in Jesus, preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ. And of course, we, in, across Christmas and Advent, we remember the birth of Jesus, but we're also preparing our hearts for his return, his coming again. And uh, can I encourage you this Advent season to be people of prepared hearts, be people who prepare your hearts. I don't know what Christmas looks like for you. Maybe it's fully stressful. Um, maybe you don't even want to hear the word until Christmas Eve. Maybe you've already got your tree up. I notice here it's quite a sad sight, isn't it? A tree that hasn't yet been decorated. But I know, I imagine by next Sunday, it will be up and um, in full bloom before you. Um, But um, I don't know what it's like for you, but I um, think across the course of the next uh, three or four Sundays, we're going to hopefully go on a journey together with this title, The Royal Road. And this morning, we're going to focus our attention on Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth. And we're going to focus our attention on why Bethlehem? what Bethlehem means in the story. And across the course of the next three or four weeks, we're going to visit some of the places, some of which perhaps we don't always go to, some of the stories that perhaps aren't always told around the Christmas period. And we're going to get our eyes fixed upon uh, how God feels about places, but also what those places and what happened in them 
can mean for you and I in the 21st century. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd love you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And we are going to speak out the Christmas story this morning. So if you are somebody who doesn't like talking about Christmas until Christmas Eve, I'm really sorry. We're going to mention it this morning. And uh, this morning we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, which is the narrative of the birth of Jesus. It will be, part of it will be on screen. I'm going to read a little bit more than that as well this morning. So this is Luke chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So today we launched this brand new series called The Royal Road. We've got a couple of aims through this series. The first aim really is that we visit some of the places. We get a bit of a greater understanding of the story and understanding of what took place, maybe even the geography of the area. Um, and we're going to visit a couple of places across the course of the next few weeks that perhaps we don't always preach around around Christmas. We're going to go on to the story of Egypt and how God protected Jesus and the sense of the family having to flee, but God's protection surrounding them. We're also going to go to Jerusalem where Jesus is presented at the temple and perhaps look at some of those stories, as I say, that perhaps we don't often focus on around Christmas. But I suppose the greater aim really is that for each of us, that across the course of the next three and a half weeks or so, we go on a journey. We get the ability to walk out this story, but also a journey of our own hearts, that we journey towards Jesus again. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Jesus at the moment. Maybe you feel very close to him. Maybe you don't. Maybe you feel distant from him at this moment of time. Maybe it feels as though you need to make a journey back towards him. Maybe there's some of you in the room today who've never even heard that language of journeying towards Jesus. What does that mean for you? Maybe you haven't yet met 
and begun a relationship with Jesus? Well, we want to, over the course of the next few weeks, offer that opportunity for you. So today we start at Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth. You may be all familiar with the title Bethlehem. Maybe you've all heard that if you grew up in primary school. Maybe Bethlehem around nativity plays. We've already heard about that, haven't we, this morning? Was a word that you picked up and heard. That's where our story starts today. The royal road begins in the royal city. But it begins with a journey. If you remember back, I'm sure many of you remember that Chris Rea song, Driving Home for Christmas. I wonder if you've had a few eventful journeys over Christmas. I remember as a child, we went one Christmas to a Christmas with my grandparents. And I remember driving, oh, well, I wasn't driving, my dad was driving, I was probably about seven. Um, and I remember in the car, my dad had put this um, large um, r- uh, rubbish sack in the bin. I had no idea what was in that rubbish sack, this black bin bag in the boot of the car, wondering why he's taking rubbish to my grandparents. Of course, it all reveals that as we get there, and um, on Christmas morning, that black sack revealed our Christmas presents. So I remember that quite vividly. I also remember it as a student, uh, my very first year at university, uh, my mum had lent me a car. And um, on the day I was due to go home for Christmas... Um, the car decided, well, the battery in the car decided that today it wasn't going to start. So I remember my driving home for Christmas on that particular occasion was on the back of a tow truck. I don't know what, if you've got any driving home for Christmas songs or memories or thoughts around journeys over Christmas. For some of you, if you grew up doing nativity plays, perhaps you think of Mary and Joseph's journey in quite a tranquil and quite a sedate kind of manner. I remember last year watching my youngest in their nativity play and Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem was twice around the school hall. They walked twice around the school hall with somebody dressed as a camel in front of them and a donkey behind them. It was that sort of kind of imagery. But of course the journey itself was very different from that. The journey itself from Nazareth to Bethlehem was actually about 90 miles in distance. So Mary and Joseph would have set off for their journey a good week in advance of the actual story of the birth. And I want you to think and imagine that journey for a moment. A heavily pregnant girl, I mean Mary wouldn't have been much older than 13, and a heavily pregnant girl traveling on a donkey in an um, early Palestinian um, nation country with all of the threats of that and um, the threat of that involved journey. So imagine, for example, the various animals that would have been met on that particular journey. As I was researching some of this, some of the journey would have hadn't taken them possibly through a valley, in a forested valley uh, near the Jordan River, and often in their lions and bears would have lived in that forest. So no doubt there would have been some level of um, trepidation in this trip. There was also a quote that I read, which was, bandits, pirates of the desert, and robbers would have been frequent for travellers upon that particular road to stumble across and to have to overcome in that uh, journey. And also the journey took place during winter. So during the day, temperature was around about 30, but lots and lots of rain, and at night the temperature was freezing. So for any of you um, who have gone through uh, childbirth, Uh, you will know that that possibly wasn't the greatest of environments to spend your final week uh, carrying a child, etc. But that's what Mary and Joseph had to traverse as they walked through. So then we get to the place. 
As Stuart referenced, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy street, above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Beautiful, isn't it? How tranquil and soft and squidgy Bethlehem is made to feel by our Christmas carols. Um, But of course, uh, it would have been a different place and a Stuart reference there, a much different climate to that nowadays. So here's a couple of thoughts about Bethlehem. Stuart's referenced it in the video as well. The first is the word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So that's split up into Beth, okay, which um, in the word like if you thought of Bethel Church, okay, it's the same derivative of that. Beth literally means house, and in Bethel it means house of God, El meaning of God. So Bethlehem was Beth, which is house, and Lehem, which is of bread. So its title uh, around the actual town is House of Bread. So come with me just for a moment. Jesus, later in his ministry, revealed himself to be the bread of life. So imagine that just for a moment. In the house of bread is the one who is born, who is the bread of life. What an incredible prophetic statement over his own birth. In the house of bread is born the bread of life. But secondly... Uh, Bethlehem was the city of David, a royal city. Bethlehem first appears in our Bibles in Genesis chapter 35. It's the burial site of Rachel, who was Jacob's favored wife. And then we see Bethlehem appear a number of times through the Old Testament. So in 1 Chronicles 2, we're introduced to a guy called Salma, who is the son of Caleb. And Salma is referenced as the father or the founder of Bethlehem. So Bethlehem's got a rich history. Then if you remember the book of Ruth, uh, for those of you who've ever read that book, you've got story of Boaz and Ruth and, uh, of course, Naomi. And that whole story is written and takes place around Bethlehem. So when you think of and you read that story, I want you to imagine that that's taking place in and around the same place that Jesus is born. We'll come on to the significance of that in a few minutes' time. And then, of course, we get this city of David, and we find that David is positioned in Bethlehem for much of his life. King David, the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz, was born and raised in Bethlehem. There, David's mighty men lived. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel anoints David at Bethlehem. So Bethlehem has a real significance in the story of the Old Testament. Bethlehem was known as the renowned city of David. Of course, at the time of Jesus, Bethlehem has now been reduced to perhaps a humble village, really. It's declined in significance, and Matthew, Luke, and John, in all of their Gospels, report that Jesus was born in the humble town of Bethlehem. And hence now our Christmas carols paint that slightly cosier picture of Bethlehem. This morning we've got two points that if you're making any notes, I'd love you to write them down. It's uh, things that I'd love you to ponder on and think through as we go through this story over the next few weeks. The first point is this, that Bethlehem points and speaks about the road behind, the road behind. What we really want to talk about and reveal through our Christmas story is that the birth of Jesus was no coincidence. Jesus being positioned in Bethlehem was not just that the stars aligned and all of a sudden it managed to happen, but actually it was all part of God's cosmic plan. 
you see there are a number of references, and we'll come on to some of these through the Old Testament, that speak of Bethlehem. It has incredible significance in the Davidic line, and uh, we're going to reveal all of this. It was all part of God's plan that Mary and Joseph should travel to Bethlehem, and Jesus would be born there. Isn't hindsight a wonderful thing? You and I have the brilliant ability of being able to read the whole story. We're able to read the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're able to sit under 2,000 years of scholars who've been able to uh, unpack the New Testament for us and really reveal what it means to us. We're able to read in depth. We're able to go online right now and pick up um, some narratives about the New Testament and read it in detail. But of course, at the time, no one would have been able to study or know that. They'd have just been able to have the Old Testament and be able to read the law. They'd be able to understand a little bit of the prophecies. But of course, not everybody would have been able to know the significance of what was going to take place at this moment of time. But today, we have the ability of understanding that God really does position his son into Bethlehem, that uh, moment of birth. So let's show this in a couple of ways. The first is this, a big word. We might use the word genealogy, but I want to use the word today, lineage, the word lineage. This is what it says in verse four. So Joseph also went to the town of Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. I don't know if any of you have ever watched that TV program, Who Do You Think You Are? I don't know if you're into genealogies and studying that. I watched a couple of weeks ago, there was one on the television about Anton Deck, and they were trying to discover their own genealogy. They were trying to discover where they've come from. For most of us, that stuff isn't that interesting. We're quite happy to live in the here and now. For a number of us, though, we've begun to trace. Has anyone here actually done a, like a DNA test and actually traced some of their genealogy at all? Great, you're like me then. We'll speak about it from a, no, not really that bothered about it. Um, but for some people, they are. But interestingly, our gospel accounts are really interested in Jesus's genealogy. Both Matthew and Luke reveal the family line of Jesus. And they reveal it in a couple of different ways. So we're going to look at this in a couple of minutes' time. Oh, we've got it up already. Brilliant. Fantastic. So here what we see. So on the right-hand side, you've got Jesus Christ. I realize it's a little bit um, dark to read. But you can see that at the top of that image, you've got the genealogy that's revealed in Matthew. And that, most scholars would believe, is the lineage line or the genealogy line of Mary. So you can see there next to Jesus is Mary, and then Eli and Mathat, um, Levi um, and Malachi, uh, sorry, Melchi, etc. And it goes all the way back to King David. Then at the bottom, you can see the lineage line that goes through Joseph and leads again all the way back to David. What we want to really discover and really begin to understand is that all of Jesus's genealogy stems and runs through King David. So when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, he's not born solely in Bethlehem because the place of Bethlehem. He's born because it is the city of David. He's in the line of David. He's in the lineage that runs all the way through King David. Genealogy here really is the spiritual lineage of faith. There's some fascinating things 
within this as well. So in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 mentions Boaz. We spoke about Boaz a minute ago. Boaz from the story in the book of Ruth. And Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And today, if you visit the shepherd's fields just outside Bethlehem, you will also stumble across Boaz's field. So all of these things are aligning themselves to suggest and speak to us vividly that Jesus isn't somebody who's just appeared, but Jesus has been spoken about and has been declared through his own genealogy this was always going to happen. Everything had to align itself to allow Mary and Joseph to come together. Now, of course, Joseph isn't the natural father of Jesus. We know that Joseph, um, Jesus was born of a virgin. But Joseph was then the legal father of Jesus in the day. And, of course, both lines align themselves back to David. So first and foremost, we see that God positions Jesus in this road behind through the lineage to David. The second, though, is through prophetic words. The Old Testament is packed with over 300 prophetic words about Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. We'll come on to the mathematics of how you can actually um, step into 300 different prophetic uh, words around you, etc., in a couple of minutes' time. But let's reveal a few things. So first of all, the, prof- the prophecies over Jesus' lineage. The first one we find about that is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It says this here. It says, and this is speaking over David. When David, your days are over and you will rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. And they will come from your own body, and I will establish Jesus' kingdom or his kingdom. He, speaking of Jesus, is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So here, Father God is speaking to David and declaring, you know, once you die, there will be a whole line of people that will end with Jesus, and Jesus will become the one whose origins are from old, um, oh, sorry, I've just skipped on there. Who will be established and his throne will be established forever. So the lineage of Jesus is prophesied. But then there's prophecies over the town of Bethlehem as well. So there's prophecies in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and it says this. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So Bethlehem, the place, has had a prophetic word spoken over it that out of Bethlehem is going to come a ruler, a lord, a saviour, the one who is going to be ruler over Israel. But then this wonderful little statement, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So again, let's get an understanding that Jesus always was and Jesus always will be. His origin is from ancient times, or another translation, from days of eternity. So we get prophecies over the lineage of Jesus. We get prophecies over Bethlehem. And then we get these wonderful prophecies. We've spoken out this word in our um, text today. We get wonderful prophecies of the Messiah. So verse 11 in our text from Luke chapter 2 said this, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The word Messiah means anointed one. And in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were all anointed, but the Messiah is the special one. 
Isaiah 9 verse 6 is a great Christmas uh, prophecy for many of us will read this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. In other words, the Messiah is everything to everybody. He satisfies our souls and he meets our deepest needs. As I said earlier, there's over 300 prophecies of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ written centuries before Jesus. Mathematicians have tried to grapple with this for a long while as to try and work it out. Apparently, and I'm no mathematician at this level, but apparently one person fulfilling just eight of these prophecies would be one in 100 quadrillion. That would be the odds of that taking place. A person fulfilling it of 48 of those prophecies, not all 300, but 48 of them, get your head around this particular piece of fact, would be one chance in 10 to the 157th power. In other words, one with 157 zeros on the end. I don't even know what number that is. A big one, thank you. But one person fulfilling 300 plus prophecies, only Jesus. And what a wonderful wonderful truth that when we look at Jesus everything that he fulfilled was spoken of was um, spoken out was revealed through the Old Testament I love to think of the um, of the Bible in a way um, such as this if I had a line in front of me today and I put Jesus right at the center I put the gospel or I put the works of Jesus right at the center and this line spread from the beginning of time to the end of time, and I thought about it like that. Everything that took place before Jesus was prophesied and spoken through Scripture about him. So when I read the Old Testament, I read the Old Testament through the lens of the finished work of Jesus Christ. I read it as Jesus completed it all. He was the one in which the law was fulfilled. It all hangs within him. So when I read the Old Testament, I don't read it as an old uh, portion of just dead text. I read it as this wonderful prophetic stream of information that pushes me towards Jesus. And I read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, seeing Jesus in it all. But then because Jesus is at the center, everything that takes place post-Jesus takes place because of him, because of his birth, because of his life, because of his death, because of the resurrection, and because of his ascension, everything now takes place. In fact, you and I are sat here today as followers of Jesus because of his work, and that's what we get to celebrate at Christmas. We get the beautiful hindsight of seeing the whole story. We know that we celebrate the birth of a baby, but we know that actually Jesus was positioned as the king, and he had to lead a life that you and I would lead as well. He too was faced the same temptation. But then the beauty of our story is that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. He suffered the cruelest of deaths for you and I to receive new life. He took on the punishment that you and I deserved. And the whole story um, wraps itself up in the fact that Jesus, although he died, he rose again three days later, defeated the power of death. And now he is ascended at the right hand of the Father. 
In other words, it is a done, finished, completed work. He doesn't need to come back until he comes back. He doesn't need to stand up until he comes back. It is a done, finished, completed work. And we stand in the truth of all that. And that's the centrality of the gospel. It's the center of the Christmas story. It's the center of the whole story of Jesus. It is the thing that we get hope from. It is the thing that we get joy from. It's the thing that our life flow stems from. So as we run into Christmas this year, as we celebrate this wonderful story, we don't just remember the history of the story, but we remember the life-giving nature of the Christmas story as it brings life and joy to each and every one of us. So our point number one, it's the road behind. Everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus. But not only that, and I've begun to reference it there, it is also the road ahead. You see, the gospel message of Jesus Christ wasn't just for a moment of time. It wasn't just to come and see Bethlehem and Nazareth and the surrounding area saved at that moment of time. But it was for all time. It was for all people. It's for every person to receive the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So if we go back to the line of David. You see, the line of David doesn't just reveal that Jesus is coming for a moment of time, but it reveals that he will come and he will be king and he will be Lord and he will be sovereign over all. Psalm 45 verse 6 says this, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. In other words, you will establish a throne that will never diminish. It will continue to grow. You are the powerful, almighty, sovereign one. Psalm 89 verse 4, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Then Psalm 132 verse 11, the Lord swore an oath to David, a firm oath he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne. The beauty of our Christmas story, as we study it and it becomes a new revelation to us this year, is that you and I stand today under that sovereign work of Jesus Christ. We're in under the sovereign, finished work of Jesus. The work that took place in the birth of the baby revealed itself in the King and Lordship of Jesus Christ. He was born as a baby, but he was positioned as a king. So how do we apply this Christmas story to our lives? What do we learn from this and how can we go from this place having had a revelation of Christ this morning? Well, I think there's a couple of things and I think the first thing is this. It's revealed in verse 8 to 12 of our passage today. The first is this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. You see, at the entrance of our royal road, you see both shepherds and angels. Heaven visits earth. And what happens in Jesus wasn't just for a moment of time where angels visited shepherds. It opened up the doorway for heaven to visit earth in our lives every moment of every day. We now have direct access to the Father. You and I are now in a relationship with the Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ that allows us to see heaven invade our lives at every moment of time. I love the fact we prayed for one another this morning. I love the fact that we stood alongside one another and prayed pastorally for each other, believing that in that moment of time, God will meet the need. And he will pour out his provision into that particular moment of time. This is the beauty of the Christmas story. Is that from now, from that moment onwards, we have 
the access of heaven in our lives. The great power of God is made present for each and every one of us. So as we journey through to Christmas, Lord, give us a revelation, a revelation that you're with us. You are Emmanuel. You are not Emmanuel solely for a moment of time 2,000 years ago, but you're God with us right now. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you're as present and evident right here, right now as you were in that birth. You are here amongst us. And may we get a revelation, O oh God. May our eyes and our hearts be open to your power at work in us across the course of this Christmas. But I think there's two other ways that we can respond to this message this morning. And I'd love to encourage you in these over the course of the next few days. The first is this, to remember that whilst God was in the road behind at the birth of Jesus, he's also been very present in your road behind. And that should lead us to a place of thankfulness. It should lead us to a place of thanksgiving. Why not just take a moment just to remember in your own story God being in your story, God being in your life. Maybe that's hard for you to imagine. Maybe it's hard today for you to think, well, God was there and he was there. Maybe you're struggling to see him. Or maybe it's rich and really evident in your life that you've been able to fix your eyes and you know right now. Just take a moment just to ponder that and just to think. And when you've got a glimpse, when you've got a revelation, when you've received something from God of God saying, yeah, I was there with you at that moment of time. I was alongside you when you had to walk through that. I was there in that hospital ward. Or I was there when you were financially in need. I was there when you needed food. I was there when you needed shelter. I was there when you were struggling with your identity. I was there when you were struggling for work. I was there when you were facing that particular pain. I was there when you were having to walk through that. I was there in the birth of that child. I was there in that celebration moment. I was there on that birthday that you're remembering right now. I was there in that journey where you were lost. I was there. I was alongside you. When you've had those revelations, when you've begun to fix your eyes upon those moments where God's been in your road behind, why don't you begin to say thank you? God, I thank you that I've seen you. I didn't notice you perhaps there at that moment of time, but in hindsight, I recognized that you were there with me. And let's allow our lives to be thankful lives. But the final way that we can also respond to our message today is to begin to understand that God is in our road ahead. You see, God is the God who said, I will never, never leave or forsake you. I am yesterday, today, and forever the same. I am unchanging. And that should lead us to a place of peace. Verses 10 and 11 of our passage today says this, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One. He is the Lord. This morning, if you're facing something in the run-up to Christmas, maybe it's been a diagnosis, maybe it's a work pressure, maybe there's pressure in your family, maybe it's a relational struggle, the Word of God over your life today is do not be afraid. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Today, I'd love you to receive a revelation in God that he's for you. And therefore, who can stand against you? He's gone before you and he'll never leave or forsake you. His promise over you is to give you a future and a hope. If today, in your road ahead, there's uncertainty, you don't know what you're facing, I want you to receive the word of the Lord this morning that says, do not 
be afraid. So this morning, how do we respond to our message? Well, let's be a thankful people who remember that God has been in our road behind. He's been with us every step of the journey. Whether we've seen him or not, his promise has been that he's always been there and he'll always continue to be there. And let's be a confident people who are unafraid because he has said, do not be afraid. And he has promised over our lives that in our road ahead, he has gone before us and he is the ever-changing, never-changing God who is ever consistently with us. We thank you, Lord, for your wonderful truth. Jesus, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you, Lord, that you've joined us together in your great family. I thank you, Lord, for each person who's uh, beginning this journey through Advent this year. I pray, Lord, you'll make us a thankful people. May we be a people who daily remember you in our journey, that get our eyes fixed upon the way that you've been faithful to us and walked with us. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you'll make us a confident people, confident in the finished work of the cross, confident that we can walk into tomorrow knowing that you're with us and therefore who can stand against us. I thank you, Lord, for this incredible body here today. I pray a blessing upon you in this Christmas Advent season. I pray that God will bless you, that he'll keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, that he'll lift up the light of his countenance upon you, and that he will grant you shalom, peace. May your coming and your going with God be full of his shalom, his wholeness, his peace. I thank God for you, and I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.